Welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, the latest on shares, markets and investments, now available on your Amazon Alexa. Hello and welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, now also available on the UK Investor Magazine mobile app. For today's podcast, we're going to be looking at a number of UK equities and to do that, we're very kindly joined by Hargreaves Lansdowne equity analyst, Matt Britzman. Matt, thank you very much for being on the podcast today. Thanks for having me, John. Good to be here. So, Matt, we've got three equities we're going to be discussing today. Um, There is Burberry. We're going to be looking at, first of all, IDS, which is the new name for Royal Mail. And then we're going to finish off with the US uh, stop in Divya. So, Matt, let's start with Burberry. So there was news earlier this week that for the first time, I think maybe maybe in history, that the Paris Stock Exchange exceeded the value in terms of market cap uh, than London. And one of the big factors was the success of their luxury brands, in particular LVMH. So they've obviously been doing very well. Uh, looking at Burberry's results this morning, is there any replication of uh, the performance there at Burberry? Yeah, so first half results of Burberry were actually relatively good if you consider the wider kind of economic conditions that we're facing at the minute. We saw uh, gains on the revenue line and the profit line, um, 5% on revenue and 6% uh, or so on operating profit. So from a numbers perspective, it looks or it looked relatively good. And I think kind of as you mentioned, we're seeing some relative strength in some of the luxury names as well. And that's not completely unexpected. Um, to some extent, these names are a little bit more sheltered than perhaps the wider retail sector when it comes to economic downturns, like the one that we're kind of you know in the middle of at the minute and expecting to continue into next year. And you know, the way to think about that kind of you know, simplistic way really is the people that can afford to go out there and spend you know, 1500 two grand, 10 grand on handbags are unlikely to be the most impacted by higher uh, prices at the pump or in the shop so some of those sales tend to at least uh, kind of at the start hold a little bit more steady than they might do for for um, more general retailers and I think if we look at Burberry specifically there's been a bit of a strategy shift over the last few years which has kind of played into their their hands in regards to this and they've really been pushing to put themselves in the kind of top echelon of the luxury players alongside the likes of LVMH, which you mentioned. And, you know, that transition takes money. You have to invest in your marketing. You have to stop giving as many discounts or any discounts, really. You know, once you start seeing discounts, the kind of brand power that you have starts to deteriorate. So we've seen Burberry take a few actions over the last few years to really try and step up its uh, appeal in that top end of the luxury market and as i said when you've got economic conditions deteriorating that's probably going to work in burberry's favor and the timing of that's probably ended up going to be working out quite well for them Um, the things for i would say for investors to remember though is whilst they might have a little bit more shelter from bad economic conditions by no means are they immune and you know prolonged downturns in conditions would eventually kind of start to hit Burberry but at least in the short term you know 
they look to be doing relatively well and i you know i would attribute a decent chunk of that to the well executed up to now repositioning of its brand to, to kind of put it on a par or at least try to get to a par we don't necessarily feel it's there right now with the likes of lvmh but certainly in in some areas it's there or thereabouts so has the Matt the, the the impact of a weaker pound has that done Burberry any favours uh, over the last period? It has, yes. So um, the weaker pound and the weaker euro to to some extent as well. Um, I guess the other way to think about it, it's more the strengthening dollar that's actually benefited them. And this was one of the things that management called out in the half year results that we've just had, and that's um, U.S. spenders in Europe actually um, giving revenue uh, a boost because on a relative level, if you have dollars and you're buying something in euros, then it's cheaper now than it was before. So that's kind of been a tailwind um, over the first half that the, that the group's been seeing. And again, kind of coming at a welcome time because at the same time as uh, as that being a tailwind, there's plenty of uh, headwinds in China at the moment. Um, Burberry has a big exposure to China, as do some of the other uh, luxury players as well. And ongoing COVID restrictions tied in with the economics not quite looking as strong as they have been in the past meant there's been some weakness in the Chinese uh, numbers um, coming through. So good time really to have some US buyers propping things up whilst uh, China looks a little bit weaker than it than it has been in the past. Um, just to touch on China though, Jonathan, there has recently been some potentially good news in terms of slight easing of those COVID restrictions that they still have um, through the country. So for listeners that, that might not know, China's continued with a pretty strict zero tolerance policy on COVID and that's meant lockdowns are continuing even now. So that's impacted spending. And when you're a company like Burberry and Chinese uh, consumers spending within China and actually Chinese travelers spending outside of China has historically been a big part or still is a big part of Burberry's business. Those COVID restrictions aren't doing any favors, but as I said, there's some slightly positive news that potentially they're going to start to to ease some of those, but certainly it looks like a headwind that's going to continue um, for some time. We don't really know, to be honest, when those restrictions are going to fully pull back. Yes, indeed. I mean, there's some talk that it may be maybe March, but uh, who who knows? But it is good to see as you as you picked up. Uh, on there, Matt, that, you know, Burberry for, for some years was really a China story, wasn't it? And, you know, starting to see, uh, you know, the US spenders coming in, that having a, you know, more diversified customer base for them, uh, well, I'm, I'm sure will uh, will pay off for Burberry going forward. So the next company, Matt, so IDS uh, for the formerly Royal Mail. So they've had results out this morning. So IDS stands for international distribution services plc uh, of course there's been some issues with with royal mail so matt has there been with a new name um a new strategy at all that we're seeing at uh at ids yeah so huh, you you've, you've done a pretty good job of outlining the the um a new name 
unfortunately hasn't brought with it uh, a change in sentiment. It hasn't unfortunately brought with it a change in profitability. Um, for, for some wider context as to what's been going on with um, IDS, as you say, um, for listeners, uh, IDS used to be known as Royal Mail. Um, the kind of IDS group actually has two elements to it, which I think is quite important for, for the story. Um, one side of it is Royal Mail, which you know, the, the, the posties who deliver you uh, your letters and parcels every day. And there's another business that they actually held, which is called GLS, which is a international um, courier business, which largely operates out of Europe. And there's a stark difference between the performance of those two businesses. Royal Mail's really been struggling recently, whilst GLS is a is a good growing business that's that's profitable. But just focusing on Royal Mail for a minute because it's arguably the bigger story. Well, it is the bigger story here, yeah. to be fair. Um, they've been struggling and been in battles with um, the union over workers' pay um, for uh, the large majority of this year. And it's been a bit of a back and forth with um, Royal Mail UK or IDS, um, whichever you want to call them now, um, proposing pay rises for the workers but the union's not being happy with the, the scale of those. And that's led to, which I'm sure a lot of the uh, listeners will be fully aware of and felt the impact of a number of strikes that we've had recently. Now for Royal Mail, that's really bad news. The recent strikes are estimated to have cost around hundred million pounds for the business. And Royal Mail is now a heavily loss making business. Um, and that puts it in a tricky position, really, because when you're trying to negotiate over pay rises for your workers, but you're also a heavily loss-making business, trying to find a compromise there is difficult and is going to be difficult. But unfortunately, until a compromise is found, it's hard to really see a way out of the current trouble for Royal Mail, especially if things like strikes are going to continue. Um, and you can see it from both ends of the scale. You know, there's the cost of living crisis is is hitting harder. So the unions are trying to do the best for their uh, members, but it's just a really tricky situation that they're in at the moment. And the outcome, effectively, like I said, is Royal Mail is heavily loss making. Um, the wider IDS business is able to make some of those losses back through the GLS side of things. But I think quite an important point here is there's only so long that this uh, that the GLS can prop up Royal Mail. And we've already heard management of the broader business suggest that they might be um, almost forced, was uh, kind of the, the takeaway from it, into splitting these two businesses up in the future. And if Royal Mail isn't in a position to stand on its own two feet at that stage, that could be troubling times uh, for Royal Mail. So, Matt, they've, they've put out, and it's quite interesting to see what shares have actually done this morning because, you know, we started off, you know, deep, deep in the red, but we've seen a bit of a pickup as we go through the session. Um, you know, they've put out a five-point plan uh, to, to get the business 
you know, turned around to some extent. You know, is, is that a five-point plan that covers both GLS and, and Royal Mail? Or is that something, you know, maybe a bit of a last-ditch attempt to uh, to get Royal Mail back into some profitability? Yeah, so this uh, plan largely focuses on the UK business, so Royal Mail. Um, and there's a few a few actions in there. Um, costs are kind of the, are the problem for Royal Mail at the moment. Um, demand for parcels has come down from pandemic highs. Demand for letters has been coming down for years now. So with demand falling and costs increasing, that's a recipe for profits to, to disappear. So the cost side is really where management need to focus. And part of the the plan that they've uh, given a bit more detail on today um, is on cutting some of those staffing costs. Now, unfortunately for for workers, management have highlighted that, that might mean around five to six thousand redundancies that they need to make. Um, and we've kind of estimated that could even cost the business uh, in the region of 180 million just on those redundancy payouts. So it's um, it's a short term pain if, if they do go down that route and it looks like the route they're going to want to and potentially have to take, to be frank. Um, and then there's a few other bits in there with respect to the logistics of how the business is operating, um, streamlining some of the aspects of their delivery hubs. Uh, but I think the kind of key point there and, and the one that's going to likely impact workers and the ongoing negotiations with unions is the, the first point, which is the, the headcount reduction that Royal Mail have spoken about in the past and now looks like they're going to try their best to continue with that independent of how these conversations with the union um, go. You know, best case scenario here from a business perspective, that is, is they can come to an agreement with the unions, get pay rises in that help their workers, but that doesn't cripple the business. Um, and they can then start to move forward with their with their plans to get a profitable business back from Royal Mail. It, it just uh, there's just a lot uh, of murky water ahead, to be honest, in terms of whether that's achievable, um, at least in the short term. Yes, indeed, Matt. So look at looking through that report this morning. There's very, very little to be positive uh, about, apart from this you know, potential turnaround plan. But it remains to be seen, you know, how that plays out as uh, as you've outlined there. So it's going to be a, an interesting stop to watch going forward. So going to move on now, Matt. If we may, to the to the last company we're going to discuss today. So US tech stock Indivia. Looking at the uh, the share price here over the last year, it hasn't been immune to the the sell off in tech shares. But they've uh, released uh, an update last night, Matt. What did that look like? Yeah, so um, for listeners, Nvidia the uh, is a US um, chip company. Um, you know, these are the businesses that make things um, like uh, GPUs. They're called and these go in computers and make uh, snazzy graphics comes to life. Um, all the way to um, computer parts for cars, for the entertainment systems that you have in those. So this is a really broad um, industry and NVIDIA is a really big player in that industry. Um, as you kind of rightly said, um, 
the share price performance so far this year is really interesting and I'm glad you pointed it out because if we look over the last month, shares have popped around 40% or so. But if we go back to since the start of the year, they're down kind of in a similar uh, level. So they've really been hit hard this year. And part of that is because the chip industry as a whole is very much tied to broader economic conditions. It's what we call a cyclical business sector. Um, so, you know, it rises and falls along with the, the economic conditions that's that the broader uh, economies are having. And as conditions have worsened this year, as the potential outlook for next year has worsened, the, the chip stocks and NVIDIA have taken a big hit because of that. Now, last year's result, uh, last year, sorry, yesterday night's um, results were actually slightly better than analysts were expecting. And when you consider revenue was actually down 17% year over year, but that was better than analysts were expecting, it kind of shows the position that these chip makers and NVIDIA are in at the moment. Um, expectations aren't particularly high. Uh, and there's a few reasons for that. Um, NVIDIA specifically is a big name in the gaming industry, essentially is the grandfather of the chips that make modern day gaming devices and computers work. And that's been a declining uh, area over the last year or so quite significantly. Um, and that's off the back of a, a big bounce over the pandemic when you know people couldn't get out and do things. So demand for uh, gaming and gaming software uh, saw a big increase, but since then it's come down quite significantly, um, kind of just to put some numbers to the drops, the, the gaming division um, in the results that we saw last night generated 1.6 billion in um, quarterly revenue. If we go back to periods throughout last year, that was above 3 billion, 3.2 billion. So we've got almost 50% drop there in gaming revenue. Um, and a large part of that is simply demand has decreased from the elevated levels over the pandemic. And as people look to control their spend, potentially upgrading um, your computer isn't the first thing on people's minds at the minute. Buying a new PlayStation isn't the first thing on your mind. Um, yeah. So those are kind of the things where there's been weakness uh, for NVIDIA. It's not all bad, though. There's a, a big data center um, area for the business and this looks at um, giving computing power to businesses so think of some supercomputers that people might have heard of these are the things that nvidia build and they allow other businesses to scale up and um, things like artificial intelligence um, they all require a huge amount of computing power to to build and nvidia are, are a really big player in that area as well and that's what analysts have been looking at um, more recently as a strength area for NVIDIA and the wider chip sector as a whole. And we saw some positive news again last night for the data center uh, business. So it's a bit of a mixed bag, I would say. And like I said, the, the share price has been 
frankly all over the place um, this year and it kind of highlights the uh, frothiness that still exists in some of these markets um, you know a, a 40% rise over a month following that still gives you a 50% drop or so over a year some serious market moves. So Matt when we're looking at these tech stocks including Indivia this year do you think it's really the removal of some frothiness that we saw that was built into the tech sector during the pandemic of course there was this this whole stay at home trade and we we saw various equities bought into due to their their benefits of the the lifestyles of people during the the pandemic and you know some of those valuations become relatively lofty compared to the wider market or, or you know sort of looking on the other big factors out there at the moment of course we're seeing shifts in in monetary policy we've seen a tightening cycle so far this year do you think that's one of the big drivers that we're seeing behind the shares in in Divio and and other tech stocks out there yeah i think um it's probably a mix there i mean the the key one is with interest rates rising across the globe that pulls um, what we call liquidity or you think about it as money or cash out of the system. So there's less to go around. And a lot of these um, businesses rely on other businesses for uh, their, their, their custom. Once you start to make it more difficult for smaller businesses to get access to money, for example, um, it's difficult for them to scale or more difficult for them to scale. And you can see demand for some of the bigger players get impacted by that um we've also just got to to remember um as you say you know the pandemic was a, a an extremely different time to where we are now and we saw demand patterns over the pandemic that weren't uh, usual and that were elevated so if we take gaming as a perfect example um you know demand for gaming gaming devices boomed over the pandemic and that was probably you know, two, three years worth of increased demand all packed into one year or so or 18 months, however long um, period. And then we're coming off the back of that, going into a slower environment. So you can see how those we've gone from really high to really low. And it's kind of not too surprising that we're seeing some big jumps because of that. And you make a really good point on the valuations of these businesses. You know, we, we're coming off the back of a really long positive market for higher growth companies and we it looks like kind of you know we're having a reversion back to to normality on some of those nvidia is a really good example because it still trades on a um a price to earnings multiple which is a, a measure of valuation significantly ahead of the broader u.s market and that's probably one of the reasons why we've seen such frothiness in the NVIDIA trading, particularly because it is still a company that's trading on really high valuations. And that's just brought extra volatility into the into the mix. And as you mentioned, with uh, some of the other big tech names, um, you know, what we're seeing is that they're not immune to wider pressures. For a long time, it, it almost felt in the markets like some of these names were yeah, you know, kind of invulnerable to 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 wider issues. I think what we're seeing now is just a bit of a reality check on some of that. And big names, like you say, we've you know, we've had um, 
some disappointments from the likes of Amazon, uh, Meta or Facebook, um, as they used to be called. Um, even some weakness moving into the likes of Apple. You know, these are huge businesses that for a number of years were really darlings of the markets. And we're just seeing some weakness come in. And, you know, I would expect that to continue um, until some of this uh, volatility in the wider economic environment um, and specifically with, you know, the changes, the rising inflation and increasing interest rates, that needs to calm down, I think, until we start to get um, sentiment shifting back the other way. Indeed. Indeed. Certainly, Matt, one thing I'll be watching with some interest is when we do start to see a shift in monetary policy back to to a, to a state of easing, it's where, it's whether these technology stocks uh, become the darlings, as you said, of, of the market once more and just become big momentum plays and with, you know, valuations that are massively disconnected from the wider market. That's, I think that's going to be something, something particularly interesting to watch in, in 2023. So, just as a recap of the uh, the stocks that we discussed today, first of all was Burberry, uh, which has a ticker of BRBY. It was then IDS, which has a ticker of IDS. And just then was Endivia, which has a ticker of NVDA. Matt, thank you very much for being on the podcast today. Thanks, Jonathan. Great to be there. And thank you to everybody for listening. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed listening to the UK Investor Magazine podcast. Please do share the podcast and we really value any reviews and comments you leave us in your chosen podcast player. The views presented by the hosts and guests of the UK Investor Magazine podcast are in no way investment advice. And please remember all investment involves risk.